Welcome to the Coptic Cafe live podcast, brought to you by Anafora Radio. Uh, welcome to the Coptic Cafe program um, and uh, on Anafora Radio. We are very blessed and honored today to have His Eminence Archbishop Angelus of London. Um, many of you, of course, know Sayedna from um, uh, his talks and from attending personally his meetings. Uh, his Eminence is the first Coptic Orthodox Archbishop of London. He uh, represents the Church in the United Kingdom at the ecumenical and official level as Papal Legate. Uh, also, uh, His Eminence, Archbishop Angelus, is widely recognized for his uh, extensive uh, advocacy work, and uh, as a result, he was uh, conferred uh, the honor of Officer of the Most Excellent Order, of the British Empire by uh, Her Majesty the Queen for services to international religious freedom. Uh, his Grace, uh, His Eminence has also been uh, conferred the, the Lambeth Cross of Ecumenism by the Archbishop of Canterbury and uh, a Coventry Cross of Nails of Re uh, Reconciliation with the pastoral ministries spanning more than two decades, uh, His uh, Eminence uh, specializes in youth ministries and travels around the world to speak to youth uh, conferences and uh, conventions. Also, His Eminence is the president of the Bible Society, president of the Church Together in uh, England, and moderator of the Churches Together in uh, Britain and Ireland, chair of the Council of the Oriental Orthodox Churches in the United Kingdom at the uh, Republic of Ireland, I can go on and on and on. <laughs> I think the episode's the over now, episode. right? Is the episode finished now? <laughs> but I'd love to give your eminence a chance to give us uh, the blessing and give us a message. Your eminence, uh, a very, very big welcome to your eminence. Thank you for joining us. And uh, please, you have the microphone. <laughs> Thank you, Abuna Joseph. It's, it's uh, so wonderful to, to be with you, Abuna, and to be with everybody um, on the call. Um, it's interesting that although we are uh, technically isolated, we're probably more connected than we've ever been. Um, I think I counted something like 30 meetings last week. Wow. <laughs> um, in the space of three weeks, we've actually had our whole church go digital. Um, everything from Sunday school classes to youth meetings to priest meetings to we have now a frontline medic support meeting. Uh, we have outreach ministries. We've got a, a, a special response group for the diocese. We have an electronic platforms group that's setting up the diocese electronically. We're looking towards Holy Week now. So it's interesting that um, I was just reading this morning um, about Noah and God's account, uh, the account of, of God speaking to him. And he says that in the cloud, the rainbow will show. And so, although these are very painful times and very difficult times for, for so many people, um, it's also a time when, as church, we are, we, we are showing our resilience because we continue to serve people. And of course, at this time, there are so many people suffering in the world. Um, there are those who are bereaved. Um, there are those who are <clears throat> suffering with illness. 
some critically or seriously. There are people who are, are anxious, they've lost livelihoods, they're, they're disconnected from families. One of the most painful things we're experiencing at the moment is, is uh, funerals, when people can die and not see relatives and they're buried because they may be infected. So it's a very, very difficult and very painful time. But we also see so much kindness and goodness um, in the world and from people. And, and following the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, I think it's important for us to realize that beyond the cross, there is resurrection. And it, it's not, you know, I, I'm sure it hasn't uh, evaded anyone that we are moving towards Holy Week and moving towards Good Friday and moving towards the crucifixion. But that means we're also one step closer to the commemoration of the resurrection, which is a reality in our lives. Um, there's much we can always learn from situations, regardless of the situation, because we will continue to be Christians in a world that is very different sometimes. And uh, I've been saying recently that we're not just called to be Christians now, more than ever, we're called to be Christ-like. And Christ-like means that we walk in his footsteps, we become his image. We show the world who he is, not who he was, but who he is until today. Because God has a heart for the world. He, he in the book of Exodus, he says to Moses that he has heard the cries of his children. And we are promised that he will never abandon nor forsake us. And so, however difficult the struggle, we always know he's there. And that's what we need to remember. Um, there are many people painting a picture of a God of wrath at the moment, a uh, God who is angry at the world, a God who is trying to teach us a lesson. And while that may be an interpretation, I think the reality is that God is God. Um, he is the same God who in flesh told us the story of the prodigal son, whose father in the story embraces him when he comes home. He is the God in flesh who had to go through had to go through Samaria, through enemy territory, to go to Sychar, to meet an individual woman at a well who had lived a very tainted life, but he knew he would change her life. He's the same God in flesh who, walking through the streets, was confronted by people chasing down a woman caught in the act and asking his opinion, and he became her advocate. So our God is, is a God of justice, but his justice is merciful as well. Um, we can say, we can interpret that this is a time for us to reflect and see how we're living our lives. And that is valid, 
What concerns me, though, is people who speak categorically and say, this is God's wrath. This is so we can. Which no one can say categorically. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to reflect. And every day of our lives is a day of reflection. Every day is a day of reflection. Every day we wake up without a pandemic, without a catastrophe, without difficulties. Every day is a day when you and I should get up and reflect on our lives and look at our actions and consider their consequences and hold ourselves to account. That should be every day. So if you or I today think that our lives need to change, of course it's a great opportunity. Of course it's a wonderful opportunity to see the, 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 the delicate nature of life, to see that world economies and trade are so fragile that a virus can do this to our world. But that's about me. That's what I should do for myself. But to then cast judgment on the world and to say this is because of, or this is so that you can. What did our Lord say when they brought that woman to him? He has no sin. Let him cast the first stone. Being a Christian is not about flagging up the sins of others. Being a Christian is about searching my heart for my sins and covering the iniquities of others. We stand against sin. Absolutely. We, we, we detest sin. We reject sin. But the people who commit the sin are different. We have every right to say we think this is wrong. But especially at a time of suffering, to point fingers and to make accusations and to be triumphalist in the midst of darkness and pain and despair, that is as far from being Christ-like as we can possibly be. Don't forget that before our Lord entered into Jerusalem, he looked upon Jerusalem and he wept. He didn't say, you know what, you've got it coming. You rejected me. You're going to betray me. You're going to crucify me. He wept. So rather than pointing fingers at the world, let us weep over the pain of the world. Let us weep over the suffering that people are experiencing. Um, one thing that I've, I've come across quite a lot um, these days is the Gospel of Mark chapter 4. And it's always been one of my favorite passages, but I've seen it in a very different light over, over these last few weeks. And it's where our Lord is in the boat, and um, he's been teaching, and he gets into the boat with disciples to go somewhere else, and they're in the boat, and he's tired, and he's asleep in the back, and suddenly there's a storm, 
and there are great waves. And the disciples start to panic. And, you know, we get this idea when we imagine it as children. This is a huge boat because our Lord is sleeping in the back. It's really a small fishing boat. It wasn't big. Our Lord was sleeping in the back like it was, it's all a very small space. And they run to him and it, it makes it look like they ran and they, and they looked for him. They ran to him. It was right there. And they turn to him and say, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? And our Lord awakes. He, he rebukes. He commands. And there is a great calm. In their despair, he helped them. He stood by them. In their despair, he supported them. And he rescued them. Don't forget, they committed a variety of, of mistakes. The first is as fishermen, they panicked. This is their realm. Secondly, they had forgotten everything that he had done. They had seen wonders and miracles. They were the people closest to him. They would have experienced all that. And third, and mostly, they accused him of not caring. Do you not care that we are going to perish? If they knew who he was, they would realize that he actually came so that not only they, but that the whole world would not perish. Not only they, but the whole world would not perish. And yet they excused him of that. Put all that to the side. Saved them, rescued them, calmed the winds and the waves, He assured them, and then he said, why do you have such little faith? That order is really important. And I think we learn that sometimes you know what you should do, but the order in which you do it is very important. And I've learned this sometimes the hard way. Someone will come and they're in a certain state of mind, and you think you know exactly what you need to say, and you say it, and it backfires, because either it breaks them completely, or it makes them react, or it does something that you really don't want to do. Or, you can be like our Lord. He calmed them. First, calm the storm. Second, calm them. And then held them to account. Is it really the right time now for us to be telling the world how sinful and broken it is and to tell the world that it has no faith and it must return and repent? Or is it time for us to calm the winds, calm the storm, calm the waves, reassure people and comfort them? 
and then we'll have our day in court. Then we'll have our day to speak. The order in which you do things is very important. That's what makes people listen. The difference between a message delivered and a message received. You, know, you can always say stuff. You can always say things. Lots of things. But saying things without having them heard is useless. There is a time and a place. So what do we need to do? We need to love the world. Not the sin of the world, but our world. To love it as God's creation. We need to love every person in the world, including the sinner, including the tax collector, including the harlot, including the, 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 the people who said, crucify him, crucify him. We need to love every person as our Lord loved every person, even unto death. We need to love our world and comfort our world. We need to roll up our sleeves and help do what we can to alleviate the suffering of many. To stand by those who need support. To comfort the sad and the bereaved. To reassure the sick. To empower the broken and the fallen. We need to do all of that. That's what we need to do right now. That's our Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ is a healer and a reconciler. And that's why he came into the world. He came that we may have life and life more abundant. But that life came at the expense of his life. He laid down his life so that we may live once again after we had fallen and were journeying through the shadow of death, through darkness, through, through, through defeat, through estrangement, through separation. And that's why when we hear that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, it means that we need to love the world exactly the same. And metaphorically, lay down our lives. There's so much going on. There's so many beautiful things going on. Um, people going out and, and helping people who are you know, unable to leave their homes, delivering food, delivering medication, uh, supporting people. So much, so much has happened. There is so much that we can do, you and I can do. And we need to show that we are not only Christians, but Christ-like. So I pray that this time is a time of opportunity. Opportunity for us to, yes, search ourselves and sift between what is important, what isn't. I can tell you for a fact, I've had the most incredible year so far where my diary just emptied out. 
and meetings were cancelled. Some of it's happening online, much of it isn't. And guess what? The world's still spinning. We're all not doing things we're supposed to be doing these days, but the world's still spinning. And so it's a good opportunity for us to sift through and figure out what is essential and important to us. Secondly, it's important for us to be Christ-like, to stand in the place of our Lord and love the world as he has and give to the world as he has. And thirdly, it's a time for us to be hope, it's an opportunity. Um, I'm always very minded of the fact that light is totally irrelevant if there is no darkness. Now, if I was holding a candle in this room, it would make no difference. But if I was holding a candle in darkness, it would light up. And so this is an opportunity. We don't want to be opportunistic. We don't want to use people's misery to suddenly fly our own flag. But it is an opportunity for us to be Christ-like and serve. You know, in a few days, we're going to be celebrating our Lord washing the feet of his disciples. It's time for us to wash the feet of the world. It's time for us with its dirt. I mean, when you're going to wash feet, you don't wash feet because they're clean, you wash your feet because they're dirty. It's time for us to wash the feet of the world and to place ourselves in that space that our Lord placed himself. We are blessed to be able to be children of our Heavenly Father. But with that blessing and that privilege comes a responsibility to be children of our Heavenly Father. And that comes by us doing as He has done, loving as He has loved, giving hope as He has given hope. And above all, being those who look at the core rather than the appearance. So we can look at the struggle and look at the suffering rather than looking at a superficial image of what we perceive to be unworthy of our love or our care. So I pray God's blessing upon you. I pray that he continues to support and keep you safe in these days. I know we all know people who are suffering. I also know that we have within us the ability to alleviate some of the suffering people are experiencing now. So God bless you and keep you and be with you. Uh, stay safe and stay hopeful and stay living scripture and stay light in darkness. And glory be to God for us.
Thank you very much, Sayedna. Uh, you are uh, joining us on Coptic Cafe. Thank you to all the participants. We have the pleasure and the blessing to have His Eminence Archbishop Angelus of London uh, to join us today. Sayedna, we have a lot of questions. Would your uh, Eminence mind? Not at all. Uh, so we have uh, Mina Anwar. Um, he, um, Mina, you're on. Would you like to ask uh, Sayedna your question? Yeah. Um, I just I I hear this from uh, from a lot of people, like they would just say like be hopeful, and then I would hear from some other people saying like be faithful, and then like just the way that I that I hear it, it's like like what I what I think of it is just like they both kind of sound the same thing, but then like I wouldn't be like too sure about it, and like I just wanted to ask you like it's is hope and faith the same or is there like some sort of like like does it differentiate in in a way because they kind of they kind of like sound the same sometimes at least at least to me so thank you mina so being being faithful is about what i do with my life being faithful to myself, being faithful to who I am, that's being faithful. Being hopeful is trusting in God because my hope is in Him. He is my hope. So being hopeful is about looking towards Him and being reassured that He is my hope and He will keep me going being faithful is doing everything I can to reach him and to do what he requires of me. So I think they lead to each other, but they're not, they're not the same thing. Thank you, Sayyidina. Um, we also had uh, another question earlier uh, before the show. Uh, someone had mentioned that uh, we hear about uh, uh, calamities and um, uh, a lot of uh, things happening around us and in theory we accept it but when it's happening live in our in, before our own eyes it's kind of very difficult so how do you attain peace during those times yeah it's always easy to be um philosophical and faithful when it's arms reaching or happening to something else it's it's like um, i'm sure you have many people here who are um, avid sports fans. And we can all sit in, 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 in the comfort of our lazy boys and call plays and tell players exactly how they should be running, where they should be going, and tell coaches how they should be managing their teams. Put us on the field and we don't know what we're doing. And so I, I think it's important for us to, to realize that our lives need to be lived in a way that makes sense but is also faithful as Mina asked earlier faithful to <clears throat> the message we're living um, it's not about telling people how they should live it's about me living and then people seeing how I live and want to replicate it, um, it it's about the splinter and the plank in the eye, and which one is where. 
Uh, it's about the blind leading the blind. It's about us with a little bit of self-righteousness sitting in a place of judgment and judging others while we don't want to be judged. So yes, of course, I mean, I completely agree. It's easy to tell people how things should be, and it's easy to be prescriptive from a comfortable position. But the real test of what we know and what we believe is what we do when things matter and we have opportunities to live. And I think that's where everything we are suddenly becomes much more evident. And what we are made of becomes more important. Thank you, Sidna. Um, we have a couple of questions here. Um, one says, how do we reconcile the fact that some of us are healthy and privileged to work and study at home and practice social distancing while others are sick or financially devastated by the virus? <clears throat> while you are comfortable at home and social distancing that is a privilege but there's also a responsibility that you do what you can and the fact that others are suffering and you feel for them then do what you can and that's going to vary from um, rolling up your sleeves and going to the front line to doing support things, to driving a truck that's taking food to a supermarket, to running a food bank, to making a donation online. Each one of us is going to do things differently, but do something. Um, guilt is not going to help any of us. But if I feel genuinely privileged, then I must use that privilege to help others. So don't you feel guilty about it? The fact that you are where you are, is good for you, but it also means you can help others who may not be as safe or fortunate. Very well said, Saina. <laughs> um, another person is asking and says that they haven't taken communion in the last four weeks and they don't know how long it's going to go on. Uh, is this cause for concern? Um, it, it's amazing how people who weren't really so fussed about going to liturgy or turned up late or wouldn't really, and I'm, I'm not saying this is the person who's asking the question, I'm saying generally, who have suddenly found the necessity and the value of the Eucharist. So yes, of course, the Eucharist is important. But what we need to realize is throughout history, there have been periods where people have been deprived of the Eucharist for years, sometimes decades. And yet their lives are still the same. Um, we, 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 we are already partakers of the Eucharist because we've partaken of it in the past. So, and we are temples of, of God and the Spirit abides in us. So we have that. Yes, of course, it is important for us to partake of the Eucharist. And it's wonderful we're able to do it regularly. But these are extraordinary times and God looks upon us with mercy and he understands. Don't be too disturbed. I mean, if it's not being offered, you can't take it. Um, and the reason we're not is, is very 
very new to us. It's very, I mean, we don't understand it. I did an interview a couple of days ago, and I said our church is, is, is quite unique because um, we're used to having churches bombed and people shocked, and yet we go into the church the following day and pray again. So for us to not be in our churches almost looks like we're running away. There's a difference. When I decide to take my own personal risk and go back to church, that's one thing. But if I am presenting a risk to others, that's something completely different. And so we have to be patient. We have to be responsible. We have to realize this is life-threatening. Um, there are a lot of people who are dying, a lot of people who are sick. We need to play our part. And this is the sacrifice we're presenting. We are sacrificing, not partaking of the Eucharist, so we can help in the healing of our societies. So don't, don't be concerned. It, it's something that everyone is, everyone is, is experiencing. And the time will come when this too will pass. Thank you everyone for joining us here on um, uh, the Coptic Cafe program on Anafora Radio. Uh, we are blessed to have uh, His Eminence, Archbishop Angelus of London with us. Um, if you'd like to ask your question uh, live with Sayedna, there's a button on the bottom that says raise your hands. And uh, if you raise your hands and you list your question, either in the chat session or the Q&A, we'll be able to get you uh, live and ask the question yourself. We have a lot of anonymous questions, Sayedna. Uh, that's why I don't know if the people would like to be on or not. So we're asking them to identify. So someone was asking um, Sayedna um, before the show also, uh, if I were to tell God that I don't want my free will, but just what he wants for me, does that mean God would intervene more when I'm faced with temptation and commit sin? Whether we want our free will or not, it's ours. What God does is he guides and directs us. So rather than renouncing our free will, we need to pledge our obedience so that when we are directed to something, we follow it, and that will guide us to the best path. So God doesn't have a way of taking away our free will. It's how he's created us. It's how he's made us. Uh, there's no way to override that. It, it's in our operating system. But he still guides us. And if we are obedient to his voice, he will guide us to the greatest things possible for us in our lives. Um, I think renouncing our free will is maybe the easy way out. Because God wants us to make difficult decisions sometimes. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to know how to assess and evaluate and choose and decide and so that's why he gave us that free will and that's why we need to use the property a live question coming in from um well philip said your eminence answered this question but his mom has a question for you, Sayedna. Hawaida, uh, uh, welcome to the Coptic Cafe program. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, your question for uh, Sayedna. Thank you, Abuna Salam, Sayedna. Um, 
I have a question for you, Sayyidina. Of course, um, I freaked out at the quarantine and when my kids came back from universities and we all stayed at home, I was determined to do devotion time every night with my kids, which we never did before. But then I enforced it in a way that they started to resent it uh, because we're not used to it. Um, but I, I kept telling them, you know, the family that prays together stays together. And I, out of fear, I was driven. But the more I pursued it, the more I um, repelled them, so to speak. So what's your advice to me? Because I want them, I want to ride the wave, meaning that I want them to get closer to God, uh, read his word, um, because there is no better chance. But I guess I failed. How old are they, Hoyt? 21, 19, and 16, toughest ages of all. Uh, so your answer is in your question, because oh. you said you tried to enforce. Okay. You can't enforce with these people. Um, doesn't work. I think what we need to do with young people is to show them the importance of what they need to do, and then they will choose it. They will provide the opportunity, and they will and they will run to it. Um, and you're very right. And I think you know, fear is 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 understandable. A lot of people are afraid. We're all afraid of something or other. And these days, it's so uncertain. It is so counterintuitive. It just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. And so fear and anxiety are normal. And I think you've done what lots of people have done. But now that the anxiety, you know, is, should be coming down, we need to look at ways to engage with people and to give them hope and to give them reasons. Again, as I said, our Lord calmed the storm in the boat and then taught them. And so I think when we're trying to do things frantically, we sometimes present the exact opposite of what we're trying to do. And that is very destructive sometimes. I think your children will learn from you, and I'm sure you're a wonderful mother. Your children will learn from you by your example and by what you're providing for them. And I think that is the best thing you can do. You need to be a wonderful role model, which I'm sure you already are, and they will walk in your footsteps and they'll understand, even if they don't admit it. You know, kids don't like to admit that their parents are right very often. So don't wait for that admission, but you'll see it in their lives, I'm sure. Your prayer, Sayyidna. Good am I. Thank you. Thank you, Waida, for joining us on Coptic Cafe. God bless you. Uh, Sayyidna, we have uh, more questions here. By the way, just to comment on what Waida said, uh, we had uh, the program uh, last week, Sayyidna, and uh, that's, um, um, I don't want to say a complaint, but that, those comments were echoed by a lot of people where uh, they don't uh, feel comfortable praying uh, in, in groups. They feel comfortable doing, doing it alone. So I'm sure Waida was... Um, speaking on behalf of a lot of uh, young people and parents that have the same 
question on their mind. So same, thank you, uh, Eminence, for answering that question. And also, I think I want to just touch on that a little bit. These are unprecedented times. We've never seen anything like this. And so what we need to do is rather than imposing a system, I think it's good to sit down. But I, I am probably meeting with my clergy every other day, if not every day sometimes. We're making some really tough decisions. And we're doing everything. We're saying, okay, what do we do? How do we do this? And when we agree on things and we move with consensus, everybody's happy. We meet with the servants, we meet with our response groups. It, it's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of effort, but the outcome is great. And so in our homes, we have to have the same ethos. Sit down, talk, deliberate, discuss, decide, and then move forward together and find something that, as much as possible, everyone is happy with. But to merely try to impose doesn't, doesn't always work, especially when it comes to spiritual life and spiritual practice. Um, we're not all the same, and we approach things differently. Great to see you. Um, we have a question, a follow-up question to your eminence's answer on um, taking communion uh, not, or not taking communion for a few weeks. This question says, uh, I feel that uh, going on more and saying, I feel that it would be uh, difficult to get back into going to church every weekend. What would be the best way for us to use our um, time now to have to not have this difficulty or difficult transition back into the, the church. I genuinely think we, we don't know how long this is going to last. We don't know what we can plan for. So I think it is a little bit futile trying to plan ahead at the moment. I think what we need to do is plan for where we are and do what we're doing with. Um, stay faithful, stay committed, stay connected, uh, attend virtual things whenever they're available, do all of that. Um, but I think it's too early to try to plan ahead. Of course, don't forget that the restrictions aren't going to lift you naturally all of a sudden. It's going to have to be gradual somehow. And once things start to lift, then I think we'll have to find ways of gradually adjusting people into the new reality. And um, I'm pretty sure that the world we're going to come out into in this is going to be different to the world we left. Um, some things will stay the same. Some things will be done slightly differently. Some things will be radically different. And I think we just need to be very open to that as we come out of it. So even spiritually, I'm sure that some of the things we're now doing on electronic platforms will stay on electronic platforms. And they could be then supplemented by face-to-face -face meetings. But this has proven to be such a useful tool. It will not replace the church, but it will complement what we do in the church as well. Someone's asking and saying, um, what's my responsibility toward my neighbor who uh, kill time by drinking and not paying attention to God's message? Um, does this question have a name to it or is it anonymous? 
Sorry, say that. Does this question have a name to it or is it anonymous? No, anonymous. Okay, good. So I can say it around. First of all, and I'm sorry if I'm if I'm judging you, but I think the question has judgment in it already. Um, we need to be compassionate towards people who are who are around us who may be different. Um, alcoholism is a disease. If that person even is an alcoholic, um, a lack of direction, hopelessness is a disease. Um, ask about ask about your neighbour. Uh, show love to your neighbour. Uh, assist your neighbor. Um, and I think that will make a huge difference. I mean, that's really important. If we can do that, then life will be very different for those we're experiencing. Um, and it could be transformational because they will see a good example of something that they haven't seen before, but that might transform their lives in a way that would even surprise you. So I think Yes, of course, different people are going to deal with diff in different ways, but I think we need to be gracious about it as well. Um, thank you all for uh, joining us here on Coptic Cafe. Uh, Saidna, or great, uh, great blessing to have you. Uh, we have just about 10, 15 minutes, so I just want to make your eminence aware of the time in case you want to give us uh, a final message. Uh, but I'll keep going with the questions unless your eminence would uh, would like to uh, end them. <laughs> um, we have a question, <laughs> question here, uh, thanking your eminence for blessing us. It says, I have faith and trust God, but um, how can I hold on it? How can I see the light in the darkness? It's easy to say trust and have faith. How can we trust and have light? Um, have faith in uncertain time and unknown life. See, the thing is, you can only have faith in, in uncertainty. Otherwise, it's fact. Mm -hmm. that, that's the difference. Certainty brings forth fact. Uncertainty, you need to have faith. And that's why faith is essential. And it is tested most and made most evident in uncertainty and in confusion and even in doubt. Because that's when we draw on the depth of our faith and the strength of our faith. And it becomes pivotal to how we decide and how we live. Don't be afraid of uncertainty. Uncertainty is a part of life. It's just who we are as humans, but make sure that the uncertainty does not exceed the faith. So we need to constantly build on our faith and be sure and assured of who we are and hold on to it um, and continue as much as we can to hold on to what we know in the midst of what we don't know. Um, if we're in the sea and it it's all moving around. If you're in that boat with our Lord at the back of it, that's your stability and that's where you stay. Eventually, 
the winds will be silenced and the waves will be calm and you'll still be in the boat. And that's where the faith then pays off because it's in that, that patience we possess our souls, in that patience that we live according to the faith that has been building up over time. Sayyidina, your eminence mentioned that um, you can't really uh, say that what's happening with the pandemic, that it's God's wrath and it's not for anyone to, to say or know that. Uh, someone was asking um, a question, says, are earthquakes uh, from God? Or do, the, do earthquakes happen when God is mad? Also anonymous. I think we've got to realize that there are natural occurrences in our world. And, you know, I, I remember being at the center in, in Orange County when I was speaking and there was an earthquake. And some of you will remember this. We were in the middle of an earthquake while I was speaking and I was at, at, at the Coptic Center in, in LA. Um, A lot of things we experience are natural. Some of them happen because of natural movements. Some of them happen because we abuse our planet. Um, but I don't think we can attribute earthquakes to God being upset. In actual fact, God saves us regardless of our unfaithfulness towards him and his world. Uh, your eminence, um, there was a Catholic theologian uh, named uh, Dinesh D'Souza. I don't know if your eminence read his book, uh, God Forsaken. And he explains from a scientific point of view, he's a medical doctor. He holds several um, doctoral degrees, including theology. And he mentions the importance of earthquakes, how it's vital for the earth to continue to be alive because of the shedding of the crust of the earth and the tectonic movements of, of the plates, it actually makes the, the ocean water to be constantly moving. Otherwise, it would become stagnant and it would become very, very dangerous for the world. So he explains it from a scientific point of view that this is, for anything to be alive, it needs to be, there needs to be movement, including Earth. Absolutely. Uh, we have so a question. Even death is part of our cycle of life. Right, right. Because if we stayed alive, there'd be overpopulation. Um, then we're not we're not meant to live on this earth forever. We're meant to die, so that spiritually we live an everlasting life. And so even death is a part of that dynamic nature of the world. Yes, yes. Uh, we have a question from uh, Marley. Uh, she says one of my friends. Um, points out that our relationship with God was uh, incorporated in a routine rather than uh, us dedicating time for him. For example, listening to sermons and hymns in the car, etc. However, I feel like my relationship with Christ was way better before quarantine when I had a routine. Is that wrong in any way? No, I think discipline is a very important practice, whether it's 
in work, in physical fitness, in spiritual growth. Discipline is important. Boundaries are important. Order is important. Um, and that's why if, if we don't have order in our lives, then it becomes haphazard. Um, I, I released a video, some of you may have seen it a few days ago, about boundaries and the fact that while we're actually isolating, we forget and we're on calls all the time and we're talking to people all the time because there's no more day-night boundary, there's no more working hour boundary, there's no more school time boundary, everything's just mixed into one. And it's very similar to being on holiday, you know, sometimes when you're at work or at school, you've got a routine, you've got a discipline, it works well. When you go on holiday, it goes out the window. And so I think what we must do during these days is still have a routine, is still have a discipline, is still have boundaries. Um, don't let your day be one big fluid mass. Uh, put a structure because we work well with structure and we can make the best of our day and our time that way. So I think you're absolutely right. Without routine, um, life becomes haphazard and fluid and we don't always handle that very well. Uh, even in spiritual life, we look at monastic practice. It's based on discipline. And sometimes when we say the word routine, it's almost, it's almost considered as negative. But call it discipline. And having that spiritual discipline, that work discipline, that family discipline is really important. Sayyidina, so, there's another practical question that comes in um, from Anonymous as well. Um, how do we find the motivation to continue our spiritual journey? education and attain peace within within it all so your eminence mentioned several good points but how do you keep going this anonymous person has been really busy tonight asking questions <laughs> we have we about 70 anonymous anonymous very much i think practicality is about how to live life and set yourself some targets it's, it's all now, whether we like it or not, we are target-driven. And I think we need to set for ourselves short-term targets and mid-term targets. I don't think... I don't think we can plausibly do long-term at the moment. But do short-term and mid-term. Um, do something, take a course, learn something, start a hobby. Uh, but also compartmentalize your day have a structure, have order, have discipline. Um, wake up at a certain time. Don't let yourself wake up whenever. Wake up at a certain time. Have times for your prayers, for your work, for your family, for your chores, for your entertainment, for your hobbies. Um, this is an ideal opportunity to start that you know, 5,000 5, piece puzzle or learn a new language or you know, explore something or, or just use some really good quality family time when you can. Um, but try to come out of this with something. You know, one of the things I've said to people here is that with all the things we're doing in the diocese, last thing I want is for this to be crisis management because that's just a waste of resource. 
But if we can build an infrastructure that continues beyond the pandemic, and we use it as a building block and we build on it, that's much more productive. So what you're doing now, don't just, don't just work towards the shutdown. Have short-term and mid-term goals. And as much as you can, um, try to work to a, a structure that brings together your prayer life, your scripture, your work, your studies, your family, your friends. There are many, many creative ways we can do things. And thank you, Sadie, for joining us here on Coptic Cafe. We have about uh, five or four minutes left, Sayedna, and uh, uh, we have uh, a question from uh, Verena. Uh, let me see if I can bring her on. Uh, Verena, can, uh, is your microphone unmuted? Yes. Verena, yeah. welcome to the Coptic Cafe program. You're on with the Archbishop Angelus of London. Thank you for joining us. What's your question? Hi, Sayedna. Um, I was just wondering, where will you be traveling to next after this quarantine is over? Verena, how are you? Um, <laughs> Good, how are you? I have no idea in the world because I don't know when it's going to be lifted. Um, what's, the, what's the first restaurant your eminence will go to? <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I just... I'm not feeling any different. The, the, the thing is, people say, are you okay? And people forget that we're monks. I am in my element at the moment. I am fine. Um, and I can still have wonderful meetings like this. Um, I'm seeing the... Ben, I'm, this is such an exciting period. It's painful to see people suffering. But because we're seeing people's challenges, it's exciting because we're doing new things. So... To your question, Verena, I, I actually laugh anytime someone tries to make a plan. I, I, I really don't think we can plan beyond the next two weeks at the moment because we have no idea. And that doesn't upset me. It doesn't bother me. That's just our reality. And we've got to adapt to this. If we're frustrated by it, we're never going to do anything. But our reality is there is uncertainty. We don't know when we're going to be out and about again. And don't forget the, this... The minute this breaks open, and I don't know what that's going to look like, I'm sure it'll be gradual, but you know, the dam is going to burst with all the stuff that's been postponed over the past six months. So how that orders itself and how things happen, I don't know, but I, I genuinely am not, so at the moment, again, short-term target, mid-term target. My mid-term target now is Holy Week and the Feast of the Resurrection and what we're doing in our churches and how we're managing our clergy and our people and serving people. Beyond that, I, I can't even think. I don't know. Once we get past, you know, I've said to the groups that are working with us, I said once we get past resurrection, then we'll set a new target because then things would have calmed down a little bit and we'll see what we want to do for the next phase. Um, and, and I think for, for our own peace of mind, we need to realize that there is uncertainty and we are all to one extent or another control freaks, right? We like, we like to control our lives and it's just, it's confusing that we can't. It, it's confusing. That we don't have that authority. It's confusing. That we can't plan things, but I, I'm finding great comfort in that 
I can't plan anything. Um, and once we can, then we'll sit, we'll set that process into place. But um, all I know is I'm just being really enjoying being with you guys here, and thank you for for your question. Thank, thank you, you so very much, Sayedna, for uh, joining us. It was a great pleasure, a pleasure and blessing to have you. Uh, we're at the end of the program. You've been uh, watching the Coptic Cafe program with our special guest, uh, our honored guest today, uh, Archbishop Angelus of London. Sayedna, thank you very, very much, and we hope we can connect with your eminence soon and uh, under different circumstances when the churches are all open and we're back in our meetings. Thank you, everyone. It's been such a privilege being with you. And I, I'll never forget, you know, I started my youth ministry 20 years ago. It was, it was actually August 2000. Wow, 20 so years. this year will be 20 years. And it was a high school convention in L.A. It was my first ever international youth ministry. It was L.A. Wow. where... You know, His Eminence Metropolitan Serapion, then Bishop Serapion, very kindly invited me to go and, and give um, you know, uh, some, some talks at, at a conference, a retreat there. And since then, I've had this very special relationship with the LA Diocese because Metropolitan Serapion is a very dear father and guide and mentor to me. I, I have the greatest respect for Sayedna. Um, and also the fathers I've known for so long. Abuna, I remember when your church was just starting. Yes, I remember yeah. when you had your last Vespers at the old church and then moved over. I, yes. I, I think I was there with you for that last Vespers. Yes, in 2001. So, and there's a certain, there's a certain, father uh, who's been organizing this who I still remember is a young man pre-ordination not wanting to mention him by name but uh, <laughs> you know I've had so many wonderful experiences and memories with you so thank you for those 20 years of experiences and memories God bless you all and I look forward to being with you again at the moment please though stay hopeful stay safe look after each other ask about each other stay connected and um, know that our God loves you and he will not forsake you or nor his world. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sayedna. I know we kept your eminence uh, late. It's late in London now. And we're going to close the program, but we still have about 100 people on the, on the line. Sayedna, if anyone has uh, any more questions, would your eminence be up to it for a couple of more minutes? So <laughs> I think what we can do, because with 100 people, a couple more minutes won't make a difference. But uh, if we set another time, I can join you after Resurrection Feast, God willing, then we can take some more questions. And maybe next time, give some more time to conversation rather than me just talking away and wasting time. No, <laughs> we enjoyed it very much. Thank you very much, Sayyidina, and please pray Thank for you. us and remember me. Goodbye, bless you all, and I look forward to being with you. Have a wonderful Feast of the Resurrection, and uh, rejoice in the risen Lord regardless of what you're doing and what's happening. Thank you very much. You too, Sayyidin, and happy Feast of Annunciation. <laughs> Thank you, and to you, Good night. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Thank you all for uh, watching the Coptic Cafe. It was a great blessing to have you. And thank you for those who participated live. Uh, sorry for those of you who had more questions, uh, but um, 
uh, as usual, will have his eminent, will try to have his uh, eminence on again uh, soon, and will compile compile your questions. And please follow our um, uh, announcements. And when a Google document is announced, please go in there and submit your questions as soon as you can, so we can group them together and make the conversation more meaningful. Uh, this Thursday, we are very blessed to have His Eminence Metropolitan Serapion. Uh, he'll come on on Thursday at 7 p.m. And uh, if you have any questions about the upcoming Holy Week or um, the services, His Eminence will speak on Holy Week. And uh, it will be a great blessing to have him. So thank you for joining us. We'll put out the link as soon as we can so you can submit your questions. And uh, uh, be safe. God bless you. And have a blessed day.